Matthew 20, starting at verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you, you also go and work in my vineyard and, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they said. And then he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then going to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. And then he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Stop there. You know, sometimes when I read a story that Jesus tells a parable, uh, I think to myself, ooh, that's a good one. I like that one. But then there are other times, most of the time, if I'm being honest, you know, I read a story that Jesus tells, or a parable, and I think to myself, well, that's dumb. <laughs> like, that's Jesus and his dumb parables. Like, we're all feeling that on some level, aren't we? At least with this story, and at least if we're honest. We're like, that's a, that's a dumb story because that's not the way things work. That isn't the way the world works. These aren't the values that our hardworking parents, you know, instilled in us. No, no, no. No, these aren't the values that have been handed down to us from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation that we hold on to so dearly. Certainly, this is not America's values. No, not even close. No, you work hard to earn your keep. You work really hard, and if you do so, you'll get paid what you're worth. You'll get paid what you're supposed to get paid for the work that you've done. And if you put in extra work and you work extra hard, you may find yourself one day getting a promotion, maybe even getting a raise one day. 
And if you work overtime, like we have laws about this kind of stuff. You get paid time and a half. Like we have this mantra called equal pay for equal work, right? This isn't the way the world works, Jesus. Uh Uh-uh. This isn't how things are supposed to go. Like we look out at the world and we're like, Jesus, that's dumb. Uh Uh-uh. Now, if that's the way we react when we first come to a parable of Jesus, and it has this sort of uncomfortable feeling inside of our bones, then uh, first I would submit to you that that's probably a good thing. Uh, But the other thing I want to say about that is there are probably two different ways, more if you're splitting hairs, but there are two main ways we can move forward with a story like this when we read it and we're like, that's not the way the world works. And the first way we can approach and move forward with a story like this is to say, Jesus, that's a dumb story. And it has no relevance for us today. It's ancient stuff. Wait, that's like 2,000 years ago. Let's just dismiss it. We can do that. Or there's another way we can approach it. We can approach it and think to ourselves, maybe Jesus was really smart. Like maybe Jesus is the smartest person who ever lived and, and he has some really good things to say and a really good point to make. And maybe we probably ought to to reevaluate the way we look at God and ourselves and the rest of the world. Maybe when we come to a story like this and it makes us a little bit uncomfortable, we ought to think to ourselves, huh, maybe I ought to come at the, look at the world with a, a different set of eyes. Or maybe, maybe the story is even deeper than that. Maybe it's calling me to, to, to a different way of being a different way of living in the world. And that's what Jesus is doing with every single parable he tells, with every single story he tells, especially the ones where he's talking about what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like. He talks about the kingdom of God and says the kingdom of God is like all kinds of different things. The kingdom of God is like a farmer sowing seeds. It's like a a dude out in the country hunting for treasure. It's like a woman kneading dough. He says the kingdom of God is like a fisherman who casts his net. He's like, the kingdom of God is like a dude who goes to a wedding reception and forgets his jacket. That's a story in the Bible. Or the kingdom is like a a generous landowner. The kingdom is like seeds. The kingdom is like some yeast. The kingdom is like pearl. The kingdom is like a banquet. The way that Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it's almost like it's random. Like something about the kingdom is hidden. It's underneath the surface. It's subversive. It's sort of bubbling up. We can sort of see it, feel it, detect it, but we can't really get our hands around it. It's unexpected. It shakes things up. It's even upside down. It's sort of backward. The kingdom of God is disruptive. He talks about the kingdom of God as if it's something that, that we're eagerly awaiting for, like we want it to come. And yet, he also talks about the kingdom of God in ways in which we're thinking to ourselves, well, that sounds like it's already here, and it's a reality that we can live into in the here and now the present. The stories that Jesus tells about the kingdom of God sort of make you take a step back because they're cryptic. Like you take a step back and you stop for a while and you think. These stories are an invitation. They're an invitation for us that we do not have to accept. Anytime he tells a story, it's an invitation for us to enter into the story if we want to, but we don't have to. He's not going to force it. 
but it's an invitation for us to step into it and think, reevaluate, pay attention. And these stories are so good. So this morning, we're going to walk into this story and we're going to pay attention to the details. And the first thing that we notice about this story is how unfair it is. Like, we read this story and we're like, that is so not fair. So imagine yourself in the story. Like you wake up early. Who cares what day it is? Monday. Time to find a job. Time to work. You wake up really early. You're dressed appropriately because you want to show people you really want to work. You bring a sack lunch with you because you want the boss who's going to hire you to know, I don't have to, I don't have to feed him. He brought his own lunch. She brought her own lunch. Right? You show up early. You're ready to go. And you're excited when the landowner shows up with his pickup truck and he's like, I want you to come work for me. There's no resume checking. There's no interview. He's just like, come work for me. And then you're doubly excited because he promises to pay you a denarius, which is a very generous wage. It's a whole day's wage. And you start thinking to yourself, this is so good. I got bills I need to pay. You start thinking of the specific bills you can pay, or you start thinking of the the student loan debt that you can begin to pay down, or you start thinking about the meals you can provide for your family, and it's getting you really excited because guess what? You needed this job. Oh, the first hour goes really well. It's so good because you're learning the ropes and you're learning the expectations of of the landowner and things start to move smoothly. It's hard work, but it's satisfying. You feel good about yourself because you're actually getting something done. You're making a contribution, not just to this dude's vineyard, but you feel like you're making a contribution to the world. Your life means something. But you also notice as you look around that, Oh my goodness, there's so much work to do. There's no way you're going to get done what the landowner wants you to get done by the end of the day. And so when three hours in your shift comes to to that point, you're sort of relieved when you see the landowner bringing another crew of people in from the marketplace. And you're like, oh, thank goodness, some much needed backup, right? And so the next hour or so, you start working with the new people, teaching them the ropes, helping them learn the expectations. And after a while, y'all are working like a well-oiled machine. Things are going well. Now you're really accomplishing something. And you start to notice that the people you're working with, they're actually pretty cool people. And you like the conversation that's happening. And you start thinking, I might have just made myself some new friends. And then things get a little weird. Because a few hours later, and then a few hours after that, the, the landowner brings some more people. And you start feeling differently about them. Like you're relieved because there's more work to be done, but you're also noticing that they're just not doing things right. Like they don't understand the culture that y'all have created in the first six hours. Right? So they're doing things differently. There's no time to teach them. Because it's about the end of the day. And so you don't really talk to them. They're just kind of, meh, they're over there. They're doing their own thing. But you're doing it right. And then you get kind of upset because at the 11th hour, there's just one hour left in the day. The landowner shows up with this last crew. 
Like, you start thinking to yourself, what are these people going to do? I mean, like, we've been working. All, all the hard work is done. We're just cleaning up now. They're not going to be able to do anything. In fact, you don't even go talk to those people. Forget about them. And then something really awkward happens. It's pay time. You're really excited about pay time. About to get your denarius, right? But the foreman starts by paying the people who showed up last. And you're really upset about it. Because you were here first. You just worked all day. Please give me my denarius so that I can go home. I'm super tired. Please, thank you very much. Let me go first. You're pretty miffed until you see what the landowner pays the people who showed up last. A whole denarius, a full day's wage. Then you get all excited because you start doing the math in your head. One hour, one denarius. I work 12 hours, 12 denariuses. Like you get all excited. You start texting your, your best friend or your or your spouse, or whomever you're closest with, and, and you, start, you start saying, remember that vacation we thought we were going to take, and we've always wanted to take, we're going to be able to take that now, I hit the jackpot, and in the middle of your text, you start noticing that the next group of people get a denarius, and the next person, people get a denarius, and the next people get a denarius, and then you don't send the text, you put out your hand, and the foreman puts in, a denarius, and you think to yourself, well, that's not fair. And you get mad, and you get all upset, and you get all angry because you put in all that work. That's not fair. What's interesting about this story is whenever we read it and walk into it, we see ourselves as those people, don't we? We're like the people who showed up early. We've been working all day. Huh, that's interesting. I wonder how people in like third world countries hear this story. Like I bet those people are like, yes, finally. Interesting, isn't it? Okay, I got a few things I want to say about it. Such a good story, first off. But no, that's just a comment. Here's the first thing I want to say about it. First thing I want to say about this is that this story isn't about us. Like at the end, then it's about us. But for the whole story, starting from beginning till that last line, it's not about us. Like, we always want to make these stories about us. This story's not about us. This story is about the landowner and the generosity of the landowner. Thereby, it is about God and the generosity of God. Just read the story. This isn't about us. It's about God. Our first clue is when Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. Like, 
hey, y'all, this isn't about you. This is about the landowner. And then the rest of the story is all about the landowner, the things that he does, the places that he goes, the things that he commands, the things that he does. It's all about the landowner and the choices that he makes and the generosity that he establishes, right? It's about the landowner. And if we, and if we aren't sure about that, by the time we get to payday, then all of a sudden we're doubly sure that it's about the landowner, right? Because the landowner tells the foreman to pay the people who showed up last, pay them first. Now, he pays them first and everybody else gets all upset. He could have avoided all of that mess by doing the proper thing and paying the people who showed up first who would have taken their denarius, walked away, and wouldn't have been none the wiser. Right? They wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have grumbled. But instead, he pays the last people first, putting his generosity on full display. This is not about us. This is about the generosity of the landowner, the generosity of God. And the generosity of God is like nothing else we have ever seen. It's like We can't even comprehend it. Like, it bugs us. It bothers us. Because it's not the kind of generosity that we're used to. It's not the kind of generosity that we see out there in the world. It's not. It's not even the kind of generosity that we're used to showing to each other, to one another. No, no, no. Because the generosity that we see out there in this world is almost always merit-based. It's almost always based on the goodness of the recipient. Like, think about this. You, uh, you go to a restaurant, and your server, your server is like the best server you have ever had. Like, always smiling. Like, in some regard, you don't even notice them. And yet, on the other hand, they're just absolutely fantastic. Like you have everything you need and then some. In fact, they're so good at what they do that you talk with the people around your table about how awesome your server is. In fact, y'all become preoccupied with how amazing your server is. Have you ever had that experience? It's such a gift. You're like, oh my goodness. This person is amazing. And so then, at the end, you get the bill. What do you do? Man, you're like, big old tip. Like, let's add another zero on there. <laughs> like, you're excited. Or think about it this way. You're sitting in the chair, and you're looking in the mirror, and you're thinking to yourself, that's the best haircut I've ever gotten. I look so good. I've never in my life looked like this. What happens when it's time to pay the bill? You're like, oh my gosh, a little extra on there. And you're effusive in your praise for your stylist. Or you're at work and you put in extra time and extra work on this particular project and it winds up absolutely amazing. What do you expect? At the very least, you expect your supervisor to come be like, nice job. You did amazing work. Like, I'm going to remember this, wink, wink, when it comes time down the road for, right? You at least expect 
that. That's the kind of generosity that we're used to out there in the world. It's not real. The generosity of God is, re- is generosity. It's actual generosity. It has nothing to do with merit-based system that we're used to. It isn't a reward. It isn't a bonus. It isn't based on the goodness of the recipient. God is just generous because that's who God is. It's part of God's nature. Think about the world in which we live. Have you ever been like, I wish I had more air to breathe? No. There's all kinds of air to breathe. Infinite amount of air to fill your lungs. God didn't just give us a couple of trees. God gave us billions of trees. And not just one kind. All kinds of different trees. And they're all different and magnificent and beautiful. God didn't just give us one bird. There are all kinds of different birds billions of birds. And when they sing, they all have their own little tune. And if we're really paying attention, it's like, oh my gosh, that is so beautiful. Not just one kind of animal, but all God is just generous. There's not just the sun in the sky. When it gets dark, we're like, oh my gosh, there are billions of suns out there, all kinds of stars. And it's, God is just generous and amazing. We can walk around in this world acting as if we're the center of the universe and making it all about us. We can do that for sure. But you know what happens when we do that? We get bitter and we get jealous and we get angry. You want to know why? Because there's always somebody else out there who has more than we do. There's always somebody else out there who's got their life all put together. And you're like, have you ever had this feeling? Yes, you have. I'm just going to tell you now because I know I'm not alone. Have you ever had the feeling, you look at somebody else's life and you're like, man, they got it all together. They got all kinds of stuff. Those are the kinds of things that I wish I had and could enjoy. And, and their family, it's like, oh my goodness, that's perfect. But then you start thinking to yourself more and more about it and you're like, I contribute more to this world than they do. <laughs> Have you ever had that feeling? Let's just be honest. We can walk around in this world comparing ourselves to everybody else, and we're always going to be bitter. We're always going to be jealous, right? Always. Or we can think about the generosity of God, which just is, and it's overflowing. And if we dwell on that, if we look at that, we're able to look at our own lives and be like, oh my goodness, I have been given so much. We can look around at the world and we can notice the generosity, the overflowing, abundant generosity of God. It is all around us. Is that something that we can just acknowledge and enjoy and marvel at? Is that something that we can even, is that something we can just celebrate? Oh my goodness. That's just who God is. It's God's nature. It's generosity on a whole nother level. 
That's the first thing. Here's the second thing I want to say. God's heart seems to be bent towards the people who are marginalized, towards the people who are left out, who are pushed out, and who are on the outside. Just read the story. Jesus makes it fundamentally absolutely clear in this story. He takes a whole section of the story in order to make sure, hey, this is like a blinking red light. Pay attention to this. Right? The landowner goes out at the 11th hour, which is dumb. This is a dumb story. He goes out at the 11th hour. Nobody does this. Nuh-uh. That's like, what? Pay attention. He's out at the 11th hour. He finds people out there doing nothing. Like, everybody else has gone home. It's noon. Nobody's hired me. I better just go home. These people stayed. They persevered. They said, I'm not letting go. I want a job. I want to work. I'm going to stick it out. And at the 11th hour, the landowner comes and he's like, why are you all standing here doing nothing all day long? And their response is, no one's hired us. In other words, there's no work for us. In other words, they're no longer needed. These people aren't wanted. They are the leftovers. And the landowner says, go. I want you. You belong. Go work in my vineyard. And at the end of the hour, he pays them a whole denarius. And he does it because he wants to infirm their dignity as human beings. He wants the people who are left out to know you belong here. This dude cares more about the unemployed, the underemployed, the left out, the leftover, the marginalized people in this world. He cares more about them than his own profit margin. Imagine that. This is a dumb story, Jesus. That's not how it works out there. <laughs> but it's how God reigns. It's how God rules. God's heart is bent towards those who are pushed out, who are set aside. Even the unwanted are welcome. You belong here. So good. Come on now. Can we put that picture up? Recognize that guy? Name's Jeffrey Owens, Elvin. On the Cosby show? Yeah, he was always one of my favorite characters because he was kind of a doofus dork guy. And I like, I like that guy. He's always nervous around. Okay, take what you think about Bill Cosby for now and set it to the side and just think about him. Like, I loved that dude. Did you hear about what happened to him this week? Yeah. Let's go over that. Somebody took a picture of him at his new job, working at a Trader Joe's in New Jersey, okay? Somebody, I was going to put that picture up here, but I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to spread that around. Uh-uh. They put a picture of him working at a grocery store, Trader Joe's in New Jersey, making fun of the fact that a Hollywood actor who's so elite now has to work at a grocery store to make ends meet. And the internet was brutal, Shocker. And then interviews, in interviews a little bit later, but after the internet was brutal, people started coming out of the woodwork being like, back off, clown. Then he was interviewed 
by all the news outlets, right? And he talked about how ashamed he was. And then he began to see things differently. And this is what he said to Time Magazine. I want to read this to you. He says, the fact that I, as a guy from the Cosby show, was shamed about working at Trader Joe's, that story's going to pass. The humility in that is, mm. But what I hope doesn't pass is this new recognition now about work and people working. I hope what continues to resonate is the idea that one job is not better than another, that a certain job may pay more, might have better benefits, it might look better on paper, but that essentially one kind of work is not better, superior than another kind of work, and that we reevaluate that whole idea and we start just honoring the dignity of work and respecting the dignity of the working person. Come on now, did you know that that's actually a really good, whether he knows it or not, and I suspect he might, that is a really, really good biblical understanding of work and the dignity of all human beings? Oh, so, so good. When the landowner hires the people who've been pushed out, set aside, marginalized for one hour, pays them a whole denarius, he's affirming their value. He's affirming the dignity of people who are even left out. That's how big and large and expansive the generosity of God is. Again, generosity that overflows. One more thing to say. The only way this story doesn't make us uncomfortable or makes us feel less uncomfortable than it does now is if we become more like the landowner, is if we become more like God, just generous. I read the story. What's fantastic about it is it doesn't have an ending. It's like a, it's like a cliffhanger. And I suspect that Jesus did it on purpose. And I know that Matthew did it on purpose. Like we have no idea how the people responded when he came back and said, are you jealous or envious because I'm generous? Can't I do what I want with my money? The first will be last. The last will be first. There's no ending. We don't know how the people in the story responded. We don't know how the people to whom Jesus was speaking responded. We have no idea. That's because Matthew wants the reader to decide. Because Matthew wants you and me. He wants us to decide. Are we going to stay locked up inside that first group of people? We've been here the longest. Life is all about me. Like, I was here when this church started from the very first day, so my voice matters more than anybody else's. Is that how we're going to be? Or will we decide to take a step back, reevaluate how we look at the world, and decide, mm -mm, I'm going to be like that landowner. Generosity is just given. No matter where people are from, no matter what, they look like, no matter how far on the outside they are, just gonna be generous. Like the choice is ours. Which one are you gonna choose? 
Is this a dumb story? Or is this one of the most amazing stories you've ever heard? You get to choose. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, this story. Thank you, Jesus, for just being you and for revealing to us exactly who God is. Because we think about your generosity and we look at all creation and when we really get down to it and we really think about it, all of us are the people at that 11th hour that you came late and you said, come work for me. You belong too. Because while we were yet making a mess of things, you came and gave us the greatest gift of all, Jesus, who not only showed us exactly who you are when he lived his life, while he walked on this planet, but he showed us exactly who you are in offering up his life for us on the cross in the most astonishing act of self-giving, self-sacrificing love. Oh my goodness, the generosity blows us away. Continue to make us into that kind of people. Carry our own crosses so that we show the world the kind of generosity that you've given us. We want you to know that we love you. Amen. Let's stand together.